If you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to go to Hebrews chapter 12. Yeah, right? I was, t- I was talking to somebody, and we've been in chapter 11 since October. And uh, um, it's been a good journey. I-, I don't think very many people go through each name of the people that are listed in chapter 11, but I did, and I'm glad I did. Had a great time. But we move on to chapters 12 and 13 as we continue on in the book of Hebrews. And um, we're going to just cover three verses today as we move into chapter 12. And uh, I'd like to read them to you, and then we'll move on into the, into the message. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There are a lot of illustrations used in the New Testament for the Christian life. Um, Some of them are sports-related. Some aren't related to sports at all. I'll give you the sports-related ones first. Um, sometimes the Christian life is illustrated by uh, boxing, by, by fights. Sometimes uh, it's, uh, they're illustrated by um, uh, warfare. Sometimes they're illustrated by a race in the Olympics. Sometimes they're illustrated by calling us babes or living stones. All kinds of uh, illustrations about the Christian life and how to live it. Jesus called us lights and salt. Uh, Today we're going to zero in on one illustration of the Christian life that I think is really appropriate to us today in the world that we live in, the very uncertain world that we live in. And in spite of all the uncertainty in the world we live in, we have to be certain of one thing, and that is that God wants us to finish the race of the Christian life well. There might be a lot of uncertainty, and there is, really. You turn on the first 10, 15 minutes of the news or go to the news online, and the headlines tell us how uncertain the world is. But one thing that the Bible is very clear about, everybody, is that God wants you and me, those of us who know Jesus, to finish this life well. And so we're going to talk about that today, about running the race, uh, finish running the race well. Now, there's a lot of scriptures in the New Testament that talk about running a, a, a race all the way to the finish line. I'm going to share two with you here today. One of the most famous is probably in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in a, uh, such a way as to get the prize. He's talking to you and I as believers. He says, everyone who competes in the games, Olympic games, goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. Uh, I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And I'm going to go one other one before we get back to our main text here, and that's when Paul kind of writes his own obituary, his own eulogy, and he says in 2 Timothy 4, Verses 7 through 8, he says, I fought the good fight, so he uses boxing, right? But I've also finished the race. He finished the race. And Paul thought that was a big deal. He thought that was a big deal. I'm, I finished, I made it to the finish line. And you and I, we don't think about that very often. We don't think about the fact that the, the greatest goal of the greatest apostle that ever lived was to finish the race. It's interesting. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also all who have longed for his appearing. And so God wants us, who know his son Jesus, to run the race of the Christian life and to finish well, to finish well. He doesn't want us to finish casually, you know. He doesn't want us to, like, strolling across the finish line. You know, he doesn't want us to to just kind of uh, take it in a half-hearted manner. He wants us to live a fruitful, faithful, focused life in Christ until we get to that finish line. 
okay, to give it our best effort. And so he answers how to do that in these three little verses here. How do we finish running the race well? Who knows how much longer we're going to be running this race, right? We don't know. Um, God, the Lord could return before the end of the service today, okay? And, uh, or years from now, but we don't know. So we want to finish running the race well. And not pause like Jesus talks about in those parables at the end of the Gospels where the people, oh, you know, I don't see the master coming back and I'm just going to kick back and treat other people nasty or just kind of not invest my, the gifts and money that the Lord has given me in the kingdom of God. I'm just going to relax. And we're told, no, finish the race well because we don't know when it's going to happen. So how do you do that? Well, first of all, if we're going to, finish running the race well, we need to remember that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I don't know if you noticed it said that there, but therefore, since we are surrounded by a, such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, there are different p- people to interpret this differently. I know which interpretation I prefer, but let me give you both of them quickly. Some people say these great cloud of witnesses are the, are the people of God kind of peering out over heaven and looking down on us. And so there's all these witnesses that know Jesus and they're looking down over the cross. I, do want, I don't want anybody peering at me. You know? It's hard enough knowing God's peering at me. I don't want a bunch of saints peering at me. You know? I say and do things privately that, that, that I don't want them peering at. You know? And um, I act in ways sometimes childish and I don't need them. Moses saying to Aaron, look, look what Mitch did today. You know? Look what he said. Look what he thought. Well, fortunately, I don't think that's the actual interpretation, okay? Thank goodness. And there's really no scriptural evidence for that. But there is scriptural evidence for the second interpretation. That is, these are examples. All the people that we read and studied individually in chapter 11, where we get to, uh, uh, before we get to chapter 12. Because you see in verse 1, it says, therefore. And when you see a therefore, you want to know what it's there for, right? It's an old cliche. But these are the people... They're, they are our examples. They're not our onlookers. They're not looking down over this cloud in heaven or whatever and seeing what we're doing. They are our examples to follow. And, you know, if, you, if we had took the time, we could go from Abel to Noah to Abraham to Moses to all the other ones up here in verse 30, you know, uh, Rahab and Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, all those ones to say they are examples of us to follow as we go through the race of the Christian life, okay? So they are the faithful saints, okay? They're our examples. And they're given to us to motivate us. That's why they're, put, that's why they're here. That's why I spent, probably different than most pastors, I spent, I took each individual character and did a message on them because they all provide examples for us. And I think one of the nicest things that God has ever done is make sure that they weren't perfect. Aren't you glad? Because I don't need to be looking at perfect people, you know. And because uh, um, I, I, I would feel intimidated, paralyzed, maybe a little embarrassed in comparison. But, you know, you could pick out every one of these people, and they had, they had some things that they struggled with. But yet they walked mightily with God. So they're given to us not to paralyze or intimidate or embarrass us. They're given to us as, as examples. And this is what I want to say before I get to the next point. You're not going to know about these examples unless you read about these examples. And in order to read about these examples, we have to read the Bible. It does us no good to have all of these, these wonderful people, these men and women of God, um, who uh, ran the race of the Christian life as it was in the Old Testament uh, and finished well. And again, it's just another encouragement for us to stay in the Word of God. I don't know about you today here this morning, but I'm finding less and less appeal uh, of media. Is anybody with me? I don't know. The more I'm growing as a Christian, the more silly, stupid, empty, useless, and foolish the media is. Now, not that there aren't good parts to the media, and it's a blessing in some ways, but there's so much emptiness and the commercials are all getting us to try to buy something. Uh, the shows that make no sense, that don't help us live our lives the way we should. 
And some of it's entertaining, and I'm not saying there aren't good shows, but for, it's just so full of emptiness. Does that make sense to you guys? And I just don't even want to turn on the TV, you know? And you know, I just, I don't want to look at the news on the computer, which I, I used to love to do. And Lord help me, I don't want to watch a thug who gets paid $500 million a game to, uh, and, 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 and acts and speaks in all kinds of ungodly ways to perform in a sport. And I, I, I love sports. I love the Hawks. I love uh, the Mariners. And, but I, it just doesn't hold me like it, I did when I was a younger man. Anybody with me on that? Okay, not that I don't watch them and don't enjoy them. And uh, I want to read the Bible because it's my link to truth and reality. And in this world that's a swirling and swirling and swirling and swirling with emptiness and lies and, 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 and facades, right? Facades. I want something real. I want a real meal. And so I'm just saying, we cannot finish the running the race well unless we're in our Bibles and, then we're, and we're reading them and ingesting them and digesting the, it and processing it. And, and saturating ourselves in it. So if you've been falling short in your quiet time lately, that's just an encouragement. If you want to finish running the race well, you've got to run in the right race. And the race is the word of God. Let's go to number two here. Okay, because we want to we uh, have those examples of, um, of these great people to help us live the way God wanted us to live. Okay, secondly, if we're going to finish running the race well, we have to throw off our hindrances and sin. Look at verse 1 again. If we're going to do this race, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Okay, you're saying, can we skip this part? No, we can't skip this part um, because we are subject to hindrances and sin that we need to throw off if we're going to run the race well, the Christian race, till Jesus comes back. Are we going to be with him? I was reading this story about hindrances. Uh, a man went golfing early in the morning with his good friend Harry, and his wife became concerned when he had not returned at home by dinner time. And finally, about midnight, he came through the door, and he was exhausted. And she said, "Where have you been?" She, she said, "She demanded he give an explanation." He said, "Playing golf." He replied, "That was 18 hours ago." What happened? Well, the man explained, I was having the best match of my life. Um, I was two under par through the seventh hole when Harry had a heart attack and died. Still not understanding, his wife pressed for answers, and the man continued. After that, it was hit the ball, drag Harry. Hit the ball, drag Harry. Hit the ball, drag Harry. (laughs) Harry had become a hindrance. All right. Seriously, folks, um, we are subject to some hindrances and sin that uh, keep us from running the race well, from finishing well in God's race for our lives. And I want to talk about these for a minute. And I, I want to tell you what, if you come under conviction here, you're lucky because all you're coming under conviction for is something I'm saying on Sunday morning for a few minutes. I've been reading this all week. <laughs> and I've been under conviction all week long. And you know what? I'm glad. I'm glad. You know what? I want, I want the Bible to deal with me. You know? You know, I get these, some of these preachers, they get up in front of the churches, and all it is is cotton candy, you know? And, and they're never, they're never, they, they never really direct anything specifically to where we need to grow. It's always something fluffy. And I'm glad the Word isn't that way. That's why they don't preach the Word, you know? Because you lose half their congregation. So um, what are these? What are these hindrances and sin that, that keeps us from finishing well? Well, the word hindrance here means a bulk or a mass of something, something bulky and massive. Um, it means, really, you could define it as unnecessary baggage. Now, let me say this. That doesn't mean it's bad in and of itself. But sometimes what we do is we end up carrying things that are good, but they hinder us. Does that make sense? They're good in and of themselves. Like, I'll give you a couple examples. A friendship or entertainment or a place 
or an activity or traveling or any one of the thousands of things that, 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 that are good, but they, what they do is they, they weigh us down and slow us down and they divert our attention from God. They sap our energy. They quench our enthusiasm for the things of God and they keep us from running the race of the Christian life well. It could be religion or legalism or dead regulations, religious regulations or dead traditions. And there are some traditions that are good. We sing traditional songs some, uh, uh, often, but they're good. I like the positive spin on that last one, didn't you? It was really good. Not positive spin. Um, what's my word? Yeah, different. It was, it was, it was, it was just really, really neat. Um, you know, it could be something good, but it's slowing us down. It's hindering us. It could be our computer. Oh, now you say it. Now you've stopped preaching and gone to meddling, Pastor. Okay. It could be our phone. It could be our job. It could be personal goals that you set for your life. It could be a hobby that's gotten out of control. Or, but it's, it's keeping you from focusing on God and what's really important. Um, now it could be an attitude. And I'm talking about a negative attitude. It could be an attitude of jealousy or anger or greed, or bitterness, or selfishness, or grumbling, or ambition, or impatience, or a critical attitude towards other people. But it is a, it is a bulk or a mass of something that it's almost like chains around your ankles that and it, 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 you can't run as fast and as swift as a race all the way to the finish line that God wants us to, to, to run. And then you have sin, and now, look at, at the word here. If you don't have a Bible, look up, up top there. That hinders, and the sin that so easily entangles us. Did you notice that it doesn't say sins in the plural, but sin? You know what that means? It means it's a singular sin or two, a singular thing. It seems to indicate a particular sin that each of us face that is unique to us. And one thing I can be pretty sure about this morning is we all have them. We all have that one or two that just, we start off good at the beginning of the day, and by the end of the day, what hinders us? That one is so peculiar to us. So pe- and you know, it may be totally, for another Christian, they might say, well, I don't have a problem with that. I've shared a few times, very, very uh, confidentially, um, with a fellow Christian, what I struggle with, and they go, yeah, you know, I don't have a problem with that. And I just go, man, I wish I had your perspective on my problem. But I don't. It's, my, it's unique to me. It's a one or two thing that I just seem to have wrestled my whole life, well, most of my life, and will probably in some ways continue to wrestle with until I go to be with the Lord. And that's what it's talking about here. It's a besetting sin that each of us is most likely to commit as opposed to some other Christian. Not that other Christians can't have the same thing, but it, it enta- see, if you see the word, it entangles us more than others. It's a sin. What is it for you? Just think about it. I know you have it. I do too. We're all in the same boat. You know, different things. But we have that thing or two that just... Oh, Lord, if you would lower a button down from heaven that said, off and on, I'd push off. I, I'd get rid of it in the New York, New York Minute. It just is a sin that hinders me. And it's kind of funny because the word easily entangles there. Did you see that word easily? Because that's the one that just gets us the mo- easiest. Okay. And I don't know what that is for you, but I, and, and you don't know what that is for me. But it, it, it's there. It easily entangles us. And whatever it is, we're prone to it, and, and it entangles us, and it allows Satan to keep us from running freely. It often stops our spiritual progress. And we have to back up and start again. I mean, it, it, I'm not, do I give examples? Do I need examples? Yes or no? You choose, choose this part of the sermon. Yes or no? Wow, you're more, more of you are saying yes and no. Okay. How about those, those, uh, those, uh, those sins that easily entangle us uh, of pride? Proudness, pride. Looking down at other people. Hatred. Hate. 
How about lust? Lust in many of its, for, in many of its forms, mental or, or online or wherever. Um, how about laziness? How about a thousand other things? You know? But it's our chief struggle. And that doesn't even bother, that doesn't even bother someone else. And we're, to, we're told to throw them off. Throw them off. Now, with God's help, we, we're to toss it aside and forget it. And I read this, and I thought, God, is it that simple? Is it that simple? I was reading some commentaries on this, and the, in these com- one of these, two of these commentaries said, yeah, just throw it off. I thought, yeah, buddy. Just like that. I threw it off. I'm done with that. And then I, I thought, I got to get into the Greek on this thing. And I'm not a Greek scholar. I just know just enough Greek to be dangerous, right? It's, but I got into my, my Greek uh, New Testament, and I looked up the word, and I was just hoping, God, please let this be a participle. Please, please let this be a participle. You know, it ends in I-N-G. It's a continual process, right? And so guess what? It's a participle! And that means that to throw it off means it's a continuous activity through our life. Thank goodness. Thank goodness that God doesn't expect us to just have this momentous, instant victory, unless he wants to give it to us, and I would be happy with that, Lord. But sometimes we wrestle with these things, do we not? But here's the point. Don't give up wrestling with it. Don't give up. Say, well, that's the way I am. That's me. It's my thorn in the flesh. It's, 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 it's no. Don't stop and say, well, that's, that's just me. It's the way that I am. I mean, I feel like doing that so often. Well, you know, I'll just focus in other areas. And it's like the Holy Spirit says, no, look. And this is what the Lord has told me, guys, and I hope he tells you this through me today. Don't stop trying. Put, appeal, God is saying, listen closely. God is saying, appeal to me to put as much distance between you and that sin as, I, as you possibly can. Is that, is that making sense, you guys? Lord, just put as much distance uh, between me and that sin, me and that sin as, as po- you possibly can, that I, might, that I might have continuous incremental victory over that and honor you with that and enjoy life better. Amen, pass the potatoes, Right? That's what it means to deal with our sin, the one that so easily entangles us, okay? And that, when we do that with God's help, okay? Because you can't run, the, you can't finish the Christian race well if you're not dealing with your hindrances and with that sin, okay? I was reading about this guy by the name of David Posman, David Posman, and he was re- arrested in Providence, Rhode Island after allegedly knocking out an armored car driver, and stealing the closest four bags of money. Turned out that they contained $800 in pennies. (laughs) Weighing 30 pounds each. So he's hauling these pennies down the road, and they slowed him down to where he could hardly walk, which made it easy for the police officers to jump him from behind and arrest him. David Posman is not the first person to make the mistake of trying to run while being weighed down. In fact, it happens spiritually all the time. And so, um, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us, and we'll finish the race well, okay? Let's go to the third one. Third, as Christians, we finish the race well when we run with perseverance the race that's marked out before us. When we run with perseverance, the rate smart out before us. And, you know, I, I have said, how many times have you heard that word perseverance in these messages in Hebrews? Probably the hundreds. That those of you have, who have endured a year of the, this book so far. But I, I'll never stop saying it because how much really have we been persecuted and uh, Opposed for our faith. Not, not relatively to the rest, much of the world, not very much. And, um, 
And, 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 and we, we, we just kind of take that lightly. But, and, and, and some of us have not had uh, a, 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 a lot of trauma in our lives relative to other people. So we really don't know how much we'll persevere when the time comes, right? When the bottom falls off, falls down in, or the, the walls cave in, or the ceiling drops. I, we don't know. And I hope you have a happy and blessed, trauma-free life. But you won't. Neither will I. Neither do I. And so we need to ask ourselves, will I continue to persevere? And what does that mean? That means if I'm going to finish running well, I've got to persevere. And it means determined to go on no matter what. Don't, don't you want to be that kind of Christian? Really? To determine to go on no matter what happens? And I don't want to be a prophet of doom here and say, well, this, well, that will happen. We don't know. But I know people that, and I have the highest respect, that they haven't, you know, thrown the towel in when things got really rough. It means to, 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 per, to, to, to run with perseverance the race out, marked out for us means to continue when everything in you wants to slow down or give up in Christ. Because um, a lot of people start fast in the Christian life, and they flame out, like the tortoise and the hare kind of thing, right? And, you know, when I was a new pastor, I didn't see this. I mean, I was just, I didn't, you know, when I came here in 1986, yes, I'm that old, um, I didn't know my head from my big toe about what it meant to be a pastor. Everything I was doing was for the first time, you know. And I didn't know people uh, left the church and never came back. I thought they were like me and Deb. We hung in there. We stayed at the church we were in. And, uh, and, 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 and yet, over the years, as, as sad as it is to say, we've seen so many people bail out. And so that's why I, I watch to see if people leave so then I can give them a call and say, hey, I haven't seen you lately. Um, so perseverance is so important, okay? Because many don't start fast and they don't finish. And why, you say, well, why would a, a believer not finish? Well, maybe they're not a believer. I don't know. It's not my uh, place to judge. But maybe some uh, obstacle or problem or offense or disappointment or barrier or challenge or heartache or delay or frustration or made them quit, give up, or collapse. And I want to just say this. I'm, the Holy Spirit, I think, just brought this to my mind, believe it or not. The church, this church is a family, right? Oh, three people agree. Oh, I'm really reaching you this morning, aren't I? <laughs> Let's try that one more time, and you can say amen uh, if you want. This church is a family. Okay, so when your son or your daughter messed up or you got mad at your marriage partner, you said, I'm leaving, I never want to see you guys again. Families have conflicts, don't they? Families have peaks and valleys and bumps and bruises, and we say things and do things that aren't very nice sometimes, right? But do we leave? Do I, after Deb and I have had a, a, a conversation uh, and then we finally come to the point when we realize it's her fault? <laughs> do I just pack my bags and go out the door and say, I never want to see you again? Of course not. Neither should the church. Neither should the church. Let's, let's, just, let's just not quit running the Christian race individually, but also corporately. Our new pastor wants to see all of you. He's waiting to see you. He doesn't even know it yet, but he's waiting to see you. I love you. I love, this, I love you here. I love the people here. And he's going to love you too. It's going to be hard for him not to love you. But if we bail out in our church family, or of the, or we're not going to finish the race well. Okay. Blame the Holy Spirit if he got you on that one. Okay. Cause it's, and, and the word perseverance means it's a, Christian life is a lifelong marathon. It's not a sprint. It's not how you start. It's how you, you finish. Now, the Hebrew Christians were, were getting weak. They're getting tired. 
They're getting smacked around by life, by the world, by each other. And the writer to the Hebrews is saying, run with perseverance the race marked out before you. Don't quit. Keep going. Okay? Quit. Don't be a take-your-cookies-and-go-home kind of believer. Okay? We're all offended. If I left the church for every time someone said something negative to me, I would, I would have uh, left the church many times. God said something funny to me about that. By the way, we've loved being here all these years. I mean, you can't be in a church without someone trying to take a bite out of you, right? You just can't. But um, he said to me many years ago, if you want to leave, if you want to quit, that's okay. And I'll still make sure you have three squares on the table and a roof over your head. But if you do that, outside of my permission, um, you're out of my will. You can go, but you'll be out of my will and you won't get my blessing. If you leave when I tell you it's okay, then you'll be under my blessing. And who doesn't want to be under the mantle of God's blessing? Okay? And so you want to leave the church, go ahead, as long as it's God's timing and way and place for you. But if it's not, don't. I'm just telling you, it's frustrating and you'll take the scenic route you won't take the direct route to the next point of god's will for your life now i want to go a a couple more things in this and then we'll move on to our last two points um if you look back please to verse two it says let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that sin so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us it's interesting that word race is the word, are you ready for this? This is a Greek word, uh, agon. Anybody want to guess what that's interpreted to in English? Who said it? Agony. Run the agony. <laughs> Isn't that funny? If this is literally interpreted, we all get a laugh out of it. Then let us run with perseverance, the agony marked out for us. But that's what the word means. Okay? Because there's, you know, uh, it, 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 it's a word that can mean demanding and grueling and agonizing and strenuous and continuous, and it requires everything we've got to give. And it's not that we don't like, get thrilled with the Christian life and all that's good about it, but sometimes it's downright agonizing, right? It is. I'm, I've, the, everything's got so quiet when I say that because I feel like I'm the only one. But I'll give you a little illustration. Um, back in my, my kids' high school days, one of my kids ran track, and uh, I think it was the 100 meters. And I went to one of his track meets once, and so, uh, you know, I'm sitting in the stands and I'm watch, watching him run around. 100 meters isn't very long. And he went around the, the, the final turn. And for some reason, I didn't notice what place he was in or, or, or even anything like that, but I just looked at his face. And I've never seen a look of agony like that um, on his face other than when I took away his Halloween candy for being disobedient one time. but uh, No, I didn't do that. But, um, but just, just distrusting, straining, just this had look of just trying to get everything out of his body and to that line, fastest time he could, to beat as many of his competitors as he could. That's the word, guys. And not taking the Christian life lightly, right? Not taking the, it's so tempting to do but not taking it lightly. There's a difference between a casual run and, a, and, a, and a just an all-out, I want to make it to the finish line the best way I can, right? And God's saying, don't be casual. Persevere, but do your best to get to the finish line uh, well. And then one last uh, point here. Again, you, when you take it apart, you get all these elements that you don't see. When you hurry through, it says, let us finish or with a run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Marked out already in advance. God has a race for you and me marked out in advance. And guess what? It's unique to each one of us. My race is marked out differently than your race is. But each one of us has a race that's marked out by a sovereign God, okay, for us uniquely. Psalm 139, 16, I didn't give it to the, to the uh, slide people, or did I? I did. 
What do you know? Okay, I don't like this version as much as the King James, but I'm going to give it to you by memory in the King James because I've, I've done it so many times in my mind. Um, in my book, they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Chew on that one for a while. A sovereign God has marked out our race in advance. And it is up to us to run with perseverance that race. And guess what? We can't have anybody else's race. Now, I've, I've many times said, you know, Lord, why did I get the race I got? I want so-and-so's race. They have a nicer race than my race. They don't have as many hills as my race. They don't have as many swamps as my race. They don't have as much barbed wire that they got to run through as my race. They don't got as many holes in their road as my race. And the Lord says, no, I know you, and I know what you need, and I have your race marked out for you, and you have your race marked out for you, and it's up to you, through the Holy Spirit, prayer, seeking God, to find what he's marked out for you and run that race. And not look at somebody else and say, oh, I wish you, you had your race. I want to quote and then hustle through the last few points here. Um, Stephen J. Cole puts it well. He says, if you're running a marathon, you can't make up your own course. Can you imagine a track event? And it's like, let's say it's, uh, oh, give me a track event. I don't know. Uh, why do I ask you questions? I don't know. Um, <laughs> let's go for the, the hurdles, the high hurdles. How f- long are they? They're like Let's go cross country. Yeah, let's go cross country. <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if you're running or someone on your cross country? You know, I don't like the way this course is marked out. I'm going to change the course on, on our running, and I'll see you guys at the end. And you see, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. He'd be, he'd be disqualified. But listen to this quote. It's really good. If you're running a marathon, you can't make up your own course. If you stray from the course, you'll be disqualified. The race is set before us. Okay? God is the sovereign one who sets the course for each of us, just as he has set the course for the cross of Jesus. It's important to keep in mind at all times that the sovereign God sets the course. You may not like parts of the course. You may be prone to grumble, why did the course have to go over this hill or through this swamp? The answer is because the sovereign God planned it that way. And you won't be able to run by faith unless you submit your will to his will. And so what you do when you go home next time and you, you get before the Lord, you say, thank you for the course that you gave me. Will you show it to me? And I'm going to run it with your grace, with your help. Because I can't do it myself. I'll trip over my hindrances and sins. I won't be able to persevere. But if you show me the course, God says, when I reveal the course to you, I'll give you all you need to get through the course. Pretty cool. I just want to say this, and then we'll go on to number four. Um, The Christian life is not for super sprinters, but faithful plotters. Faithful plotters. Okay, number four. There are five, in case you're counting. Um, If we're going to run, finish the the Christian race well, we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. That's what it says right here, verse two. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What does that mean? You know, this is so simple, we can, we can, we can go right past it. To fix our eyes on Jesus means to ignore what is not of Jesus. It's simple, but is it, it's not easy. I really feel, in, in my heart of hearts, preachers use this all the time as a, as a, as a tactic, This is no tactic. I really feel like the Holy Spirit has asked me to say to you this morning to fix your eyes on Jesus. Like you've never done it, like you've never done before. To the exclusion of everything else, and that doesn't mean you don't go through life and take care of your responsibilities, of course, but it means today, today, more than you've ever done before, fix your eyes on Jesus as much as you can. When you're driving down the road, when you're when you're doing the dishes or, or mowing the lawn or ad infinitum, fix your eyes on Jesus, okay? Fix 
your eyes on Jesus. In other words, do whatever you can to ignore what is not of Jesus and look to him. One guy, I don't know who this is, but he was, he was good enough to be quoted in an art, uh, a s- article or a sermon or wherever I got it. J. Wilbur Chapman said, anything that dims my vision of Christ, anything that takes away my taste for the, for bi- the Bible, anything that, that um, cramps my prayer life, anything that makes Christian work unappealing or unenergizing is wrong for me. And I must, as a Christian, turn away from it and focus on Jesus. Now, that is, that is not easy to do, given how busy we all get in our life's responsibilities. But the Scripture says it, let us, you, me, and every other brother and sister in Christ, let us, all of us, not just pastors, let us, the body, fix our eyes on Jesus. Just think of the lack of doctrinal error. Think of the lack of church conflict. Think of the lack of making foolish decisions before the Lord's timing. Think of the lack of all that's bad that we pre- would be prevented if us fixed our eyes on Jesus. Wow. So fix our eyes on Jesus. And he says, why? He gives us a bunch of whys. Because he's the author of our faith. What does that mean? Well, it has two possible meanings here. It could be that it means he's the originator of our faith, the one who started it all. He's the founder of our faith. And I'll just say it, no sinner, no unbeliever is capable of believing in Christ for salvation unless God first grants it. We, we, we could never, you know, G, uh, Paul calls us, he says in Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, that you were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God made us alive in Christ. Anybody want to argue the point? And I think that's what it means. For me, I, I didn't have a chance. And so why should I fix my eyes on Jesus? Because if it wasn't for him, I'd be going to hell. But now I get to go to an eternal heaven. Wow. I think it also can mean that, as some interpreters say, that, that Jesus is our chief or ultimate example of faith. Looking unto Jesus, the author of our faith, in other words, the prime example through his birth, his life, his death, or his ministry, his death, he gives me a perfect example to look to. He's the author, or the, or the, the I like number one better, but I'll take number two. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, um, um, divide over that. Why should I fix my eyes on Jesus? Because somebody in the Sweet Sixteen is going to win, and I'll, 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 I'll do good at the, the uh, March Madness, or because uh, um, I haven't had a flat tire in four years, or I haven't all these things. No, because he he got me into the kingdom of God by his grace. That deserves an amen. Okay, and then he says he's the perfecter of our faith. What does that mean? The perfecter of our faith. I think that can have a couple of meanings too. I think one of them could be that um, he carries us to completion. What does Philippians 1 6 say? This is a great thing here. Philippians 1 6 says, um, you need to find Philippians first. There it is. 1 6 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. I've got someone that will carry me until the finish line. How many of you have ever seen that that thing on YouTube or wherever you saw it? It's a a race in the 92 uh, Summer Games, the Olympics, okay? And the guy by by the runner, or or a British guy, uh, he was a runner by the name of Derek Redman, and he's rounding the final turn. I forgot the event. 400-meter event. And he pulls a hamstring. And now he can't run. And he's just limping like this. And everybody else passes him. But who comes out of the stands? Have you seen this? His father comes out of the stands. And security tries to, to stop him. And he goes, that's my son. And he carries his son to the finish line together. Now that's what he's talking about here. He's the author, but he's the perfect. He'll get us there. Watch it. It's really worth watching. You'll take a Kleenex 
you'll cry. If you have any emotional ability at all, you'll cry. <laughs> I didn't cry, but Debbie cried. Oh, she cried <laughs> and cried and cried. Oh, boy, it was a tearjerker. The other, the other interpretation is that he was the perfect picture or example of faith, the perfecter of our faith, that he was the perfect example of faith. But I think the first one really carries a lot more merit. And then, he, and then another reason to fix our eyes on Jesus, if that, that wasn't enough, and I'm trying to hurry along here, is he, he, he took joy in going to the cross for us. It says here, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorned its shame. I remember when I first discovered this, you guys, I thought, this can't be. This can't, this can't be. It's, this is too juicy, too good, too meaty, too heavy, weighty, because Jesus was joyful about going to the cross because it meant that he was going to take you and I to heaven. And I'm sorry, but that does not compute into my puny brain. I do not understand that kind of love that Jesus, 2,000 years ago, was um, um, put into the womb spontaneously by the Holy Spirit, went through the periods of development, was born, grew up perfect without sin, and on the cross took all my sin and yours on himself, so that he could, and was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, so he could provide a way for me to go to heaven forever with him. And, I, 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 and that, that made him happy. He's happy about that. He was so happy about that, he was willing to be nailed to a cross, never having known sin before, never having been separated from God before, being the divine second person of the Trinity in heaven, and he did that because it would make him happy that I got to go to heaven. Oh, wow. Fix your eyes on him, the author, the perfecter, the one who went to the cross for the joy. And it could also be the joy that he gets when he's glorified again with God for all. He said, I'm going, I'm happy because as the real soul of this, I'm going back to, as he says in John 17, to, to experience the joy that I had with the Father before the world began. That's why we ought to fix our eyes Anybody want to, I mean, and then finally, um, to run the Christian race in order to finish well. Okay, let's go through. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Um, we need to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. We need to run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And then we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. And then finally, we need to, I love the first word here, could finish on this one. I, uh, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And I think I'm going to do this. I'm mostly con consider. And that word consider means ponder or uh, meditate on. Just think about it. It's, it's simply, just think about it. Consider it. Mull it over in your mind. You know, when you have those, those moments of time during the day when you could listen to whatever on the, on the radio or you could be thinking about what's for dinner or whatever, where, whenever, just consider. Just think about, think about Jesus who endured such opposition from sinful men. What do you mean opposition? Well, mental opposition, physical opposition, spiritual opposition, satanic opposition, at a level no one before or since would ever experience, and the person do, had been experiencing it never sinned. He didn't even know what sin was like. Do you realize that? Do, do you guys realize that before Jesus went to the cross, he never understood what sin was like? And yet as the divine son of God, he experienced it. And, and what happens when we do all this? When we do these five things, it says in verse 3, we won't grow weary and lose heart. Oh, and I don't have to pay 125 bucks an hour? Right, you don't. That's no dig at counselors. They do a great work. But, you know, sometimes when you, when you, when you ponder these things, it keeps us from growing weary and losing heart. 
because we, the path gets difficult and we can't see God and we can't feel God and our circumstances weigh on us and we're wondering when God's going to come through for us and, and we don't know uh, when this particular issue or, or problem is going to end. When we start to consider the agony and the joy of Jesus and who he is and what he did for us, we won't grow weary and lose heart. Well, by 7 o'clock, you say, is that how long you're going to preach? No, it's an illustration. By 7 o'clock p.m. on October 20th, 1968, darkness was beginning to come upon the Olympic Stadium in Mexico City. The last of the marathon runners were being escorted to the first aid stations, and over one hour earlier, the winner of the race had crossed the finish line of this 26-plus mile race. As most of the spectators were leaving the stadium, they heard the police sirens and whistles coming through the entrance to the stadium. It all, all that attention was focused uh, on the gate that when a lone figure appeared limping into the stadium. It was John Aquari, the marathon runner from Tanzania. He was the last man to finish the race in 1968. His leg was bandaged and bloody from a serious fall early in the race. And all he could do now was limp his way the last few steps of the race. The crowd stood and applauded as he completed the last lap. And having finally finished, one man dared to ask the question all were wanting to ask. You are severely injured. Why didn't you just quit? John, with quiet dignity, said, My country did not send me 7,000 miles to start the race. My country sent me to finish. That's what God did with you and me. He sent us here. He gave us salvation to finish and to finish well. And he's given us a mini instruction manual on how to do that. And however God has spoken to you through this message, that's why he's doing it to speak. That's why he spoke to you today. So that you'll finish well. Not just stroll, crawl across the line, but to finish well. Are you going to finish well? I hope you do. I hope I do. That's what God wants for us. Apply what he's given you today. Run the race that he marked out for you, okay? Throw off with his strength what hinders and entangles you. Refocus on Jesus. He'll help us do that. And by the way, you can't run in a race if you never entered into the race. If, you're not, if you haven't entered, you can't run in the race. And if you've never repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord for your sins and make him Lord of your life, you aren't even in the race, okay? And if you don't enter in the race of Christian life and run with endurance, you won't get the prize. And so if you're not a Christian here today or online, I would encourage you to enter the race of a relationship with Jesus. Father, we thank you for this instruction booklet that we've been given today. That if we do these things, if we um, look at our witnesses, our examples, if we throw off those things that are hindering us in our sin, that so easily entangles us, if we run with perseverance, if we fix our eyes on Jesus and consider him who endured such opposition, we'll finish well. I pray for each person here this morning that we'll finish well. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week.